requires a certain sort of person, doesn't it? Not necessarily tough or rugged or RM-wearing. Farmers are waiting people. You have to have patience to be a farmer. Because crops and animals, they take time, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, to be ready for harvest or sale. As they busily wait, farmers navigate markets and weather, disease and neighbours, none of which are in their control. For the rest of us, farming is a very strange world because we see waiting as an ancient concept. We're the instant generation. We're people who do not like to wait. So we go down the shops and we expect that no matter the season, my fruit and my veg will be on that shelf. And really, who watches free-to-air free free to TV, right? Like when you can now go online and press the show you want at the time you want nearly every time. Now, our allergy to waiting, it makes us, it, sorry, it makes it challenging for us to understand Old Testament Israel. This group of people in the Old Testament are different to us. They are waiting people. Behind their different diet, behind their religious ceremonies, behind their strange customs was a promise. God had given them a promise of an incredible future. It was real and tangible. It was a future of salvation and peace. And that promise, over a thousand years, it created that community and it sustained them. Generation after generation would pass it on as they lived freely in Canaan, as they were refugees in Babylon, as they were under the oppressive foreign rules of Persia. For a thousand years, they waited expectantly as a community of hope. They're different to us. And only when we see that Israel were awaiting people can I think we grasp what's really going on here in Luke 2. Because what God is announcing in Luke 2 is that Jesus Christ is the end of the wait. The uninformed eyes see in this passage a Jewish couple with a little baby doing some cultural things. But the spirit-informed eyes see the national and international significance of Jesus' arrival. So today, with God's help, we're going into the temple and we're going to hear from spirit-filled people what's going on. And so the first point is, Jesus Christ is the end of the wait for Israel. The time we're at is six weeks after Jesus' birth. Mary and Joseph, they're no doubt tired from their broken sleep. They're no, no, no doubt enjoying their baby's latest trick. Are just doing what normal Jewish parents did. We read they circumcised Jesus on the eighth day, Leviticus 12. Mary offered the sacrifice for purification, Leviticus 12. And then they together went to the temple 40 days after birth to present their firstborn to the Lord, Numbers 18. 
Five times we're told in the passage they were fulfilling God's law. Luke is not saying that Jesus was keeping the law as a baby. What Luke is doing is painting for us a picture of a Jewish mum and dad with a Jewish baby doing what faithful Jewish people did. That when we look at that baby, we are to say, he is part of the waiting people of God who are expressing their trust by doing the daily things God's word said. Interestingly, Luke also informs us that his parents were not wealthy. In the offering of the purification sacrifice in Leviticus 12, God very generously offered two ways to offer the same sacrifice. One was, a, one was a lamb and a pigeon, and for poorer people, they could just offer two pigeons. And we read here that Mary and Joseph offered two pigeons. That helps us, doesn't it? Because when we look at Mary and Joseph, we're not to see little halos on their heads. They're not like these perfect um, people of God. We're seeing a typical carpenter and a peasant girl, and they're expressing their trust in God. Then in verse 25, God breaks in and he announces what is going on. And that's been the pattern in Luke 1 and 2, as we've been reading it over these few months, that the birth of Jesus would have appeared just like any other Jewish birth, except for the fact that God tells us something. And he's been telling us through his angel, Gabriel, twice. Now he tells us through two of his prophets, Anna and Simeon. The first prophet is Simeon. Simeon is a local. He's a Jerusalem man. He's, kind of, he's one of those tribes that was in Jerusalem. And we don't know his age. We think he was older, but we don't know that. We actually have no idea what his job was. What we do know is he's a devout believer in God. That little phrase that he's given, a righteous and devout man, it's the same words that was used to describe Job in the Old Testament. Same words to describe Zechariah in Luke 1. And the idea is not that he's perfect, but that he is a Bible man who tries to obey what God says. He expresses his trust through obedience to God's word. The second prophet is Anna. We know that she is an older woman. And interestingly, she's one from one of the scattered northern tribes. So when in Jerusalem, she's an outsider. She's not a local. We also know that when her husband died 50 plus years before, she chose a lifetime of service to God over remarriage. What beautiful dedication there. Why'd she do it? Because like Simeon, she's a Bible woman. She reads the Old Testament. And so she expresses her trust each day by going to the temple to serve her Lord. Simeon and Anna, they represent faithful Israel and they are waiting people. They live each day waiting for God to bring his consolation. That's a tricky word, but actually the word just means comfort. They're waiting for the comfort of Israel. And I don't want us to think kind of a big, bear hug of God. No, because the word comfort is a clue. 
And it points us back to Isaiah 40 to 55, where God over and over again promises his comfort for his people. And that comfort was where God would save his people from their enemies. He would heal and restore the nation. He would forgive their sins. And how would he do it? Through his servant, through his Messiah. For faithful Israelites, Isaiah 49 was one of their favorite memory verses. Isaiah 49, 8 on the screen, I will answer you in the time of favor. I will help you in the day of salvation. Verse 13, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Israel's disobedience had stopped them from being the servant. And so Simeon and Anna and all faithful Israelites that were left were looking forward to. Actually, they were praying daily. They were waiting for a better servant, for one who would bring the promised comfort of God. And so on this average day in Jerusalem, God tells Simeon and Anna, the wait is over. You notice that Simeon and Anna don't work it out for themselves. They're not just smart people. No, no, God the Spirit is the dominant actor in our passage. The Holy Spirit prepared Simeon for this moment. The Holy Spirit prompts him to go and approach Mary and Joseph in the court. And he gives them the words to say so that everyone can understand what's going on. The whole him picking up the baby and all of that prayer stuff, it's a bit weird, right? It's kind of like a mix between the Lion King Simba scene and the Prime Minister kissing baby scene, right? It's just, but kind of, I need you to kind of push past that because the most important thing is what Simeon says. It's Simeon's spirit-given words. What does Simeon say? Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. In 2.11, Gabriel had announced that the Saviour had been born. Now Simeon declares that with his own eyes, he is looking at salvation in Mary's arms. What he's saying here is that God's servant has arrived. God's comfort is close. The waiting is over. And it's the parallel scene with Anna, isn't it? On seeing Jesus, the Holy Spirit again, compels her to prophesy that Jerusalem's redemption, i.e. the hopes of the entire Old Testament, are fulfilled in this baby. Jesus Christ is the end of the wait for Israel. My guess is there's basically no one who's Jewish in the room tonight. So what's the point? What's the application? Maybe we should just move on, right? I actually think hearing this news generates multiple responses for us. Firstly, we can rejoice that God keeps his word to his chosen people. How good is that? That he has not broken his promise. He keeps his word because a faithful God gives us such great assurance 
Secondly, if we get this, we are compelled to mourn and pray for Jewish people across the world. I hope you pray for Jewish people across the world. Not only are they often abused as a people group, which they are in Australia and across the world right now, many Jewish people are waiting for a saviour that has already come. We need to mourn for them and pray for them. Pray that they would read their Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, and that the Holy Spirit would fill their eyes so they could see that Jesus, the Jew, is their saviour. Finally, I think we can also learn from Simeon's view of death. He dramatically says, I can die in peace. It's a very dramatic saying, isn't it? And it's quite weird because I haven't met a human being yet in my life who isn't afraid of dying. And we should be. Not of the hurt or the pain. No, that the Bible tells us that every one of us today has an appointment to die and an appointment to face the judgment of the living God. So how can Simeon die in peace? It's because his eyes had seen salvation. He had received salvation. And whilst he didn't know this, that baby would grow up and he would go to the cross. Jesus would go to the cross and he would die for the judgment of sinners. And he would offer eternal life for all who put their trust in him. And so for the Christian, God has sent a saviour to deal with death. And that changes everything. A man called Watkins writes this, For the Christian, my death does not loom as the great immovable event to dwarf all other events. Death is a falling asleep, the instant of change, but by no means the end of everything. The great future event that blazes its glorious light across all Christian experience is the fulfilment of God's promises in Christ of resurrection and eternal life. I think every country in the world likes to say they've contributed something for the world. Uh, lots of countries contribute lots of things, of course. France, they gave us the stethoscope. Egypt gave us accounting. Argentina, Argentina gave us the pen. Japan gave us Pokemon. Australia gave us plastic banknotes. Israel gave the world salvation. You see, God's promised salvation was for Israel, but it was never just for Israel. When God made the foundational promise in the Bible, Genesis 12, 1 to 3 to Abraham, he said he would bless the entire world through the descendants of Abraham, Israel. And so on this normal day, Simeon declares that the weight of for salvation for the nations is over. Verse 32, 
Jesus Christ is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And again, these words come from Isaiah 49. And now says the Lord to his servant, it's not enough for you to be my servant raising up the the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Stunning, isn't it? Salvation for Israel is too small. Jesus, the Messiah, the servant, salvation has a global reach. Now, it's important to say, right, that the nations were not waiting for a Jewish saviour. That's important to say, right? They, like us, like our neighbours, have our own pathways of hope. We have our other ways, the gospel of peace and salvation by feelings and works and, and all that sort of stuff. Yet this is where the imagery of light and darkness helps us. God says, a world living without him is like a world living in darkness. Many of you have sat in a dark room. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to go left, right, forwards, backwards. You see that in the darkness, when there's no light, anything can be the right way. Theologically, anything can be God. Any direction can appear to be the right way until it disappoints you and leaves you lost. Our world lives in darkness. And even Israel, who had God's word, were in darkness due to their disobedience. So what God did was send his salvation as a light for all people for the Jews and the Gentiles. See Acts 26? The Messiah would suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. The the servant comes to bring light. And when he gives light to Israel, they can return to their covenant God. But as he brings Israel in, they become a light to the nations so that the nations know where to come. That's Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth, the total darkness the people, and the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light kings to your shining brightness. The Jewish Messiah gives light so the nations can find the true God and be in relationship with him. As you walked into church at four this afternoon, I wonder if you realised you were seeing that prophecy being fulfilled. That we sit here this afternoon, there's First Nations people, sitting next to pagan Anglo-Saxons, next to to some Celtic uh, Celtic barbarians, next to some Mexicans and South Asians, all sitting in the light. What do we do? We all trust the Jewish Messiah, the glory of Israel. When we truly grasp this, that Jesus is not just for Israel, 
He's not just for good people. He's not just for me. We become like Anna, who could not keep quiet about Jesus and her, his salvation. You see, when we get this, we realise that Christianity is an unashamedly missionary faith. Jesus is the light of the whole world. There's no one else coming and there was no one before Jesus who could take his place. And so if we are saved, we are always compelled to make much of Jesus by life and lips so others can know him. And we share Jesus because people living in our lives are living in darkness. They don't know their left from their right. They need Jesus. And that's why, as a church, we're doing two for two. It's not just a fun little one-week project. No, it comes from the fact that we thoroughly believe that our friends and neighbours and work colleagues are living in darkness. And that what we need to do is to pray boldly and invite many to consider Christ. I hope this got home last week. And I hope there's two names on it. And I hope that you truly believe that the God of the universe is hearing your prayers for those two people, that they may come into the light. That they may go to simply Christianity so they may consider the light. Because without the light, they will be in darkness. Uh, Kick is a youth conference in Katoomba. And uh, lots of young people across New South Wales get to go to it each year. When I was working with young people, a big moment of our year would be to go up the mountain as a bunch of guys. And uh, it was quite transforming. Um, these young guys, they would hear about Jesus and they would make decisions and often public decisions, which for young men is quite unheard of, to trust Jesus. And as a leader, it was just amazing joy. As we met the weeks after that conference, they'd often share how hard it was to still be a Christian. And some of them would get wobbly and some of them would get weary. Now, that trend is very common, isn't it? We have highs and lows. But the question I've got is, what had those guys misunderstood? Because they'd grasped salvation. They'd got that the light had come. They were totally accepting of the forgiveness. And when they looked at their passport, it was stamped with God saying, you're my child forever. But they had missed that the race was not over. And that's what the spirit-filled Simeon wanted Mary to understand in our passage. See verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see, Jesus Christ is the end of the wait, but not the end of the race. The future for every Christian, including Mary, is joy and shadows. This is the first hint in Luke's gospel that Jesus will be bad news for some in Israel. 
They're going to stumble over Jesus. They're going to reject the servant. They're going to oppose Jesus. Why? Because when you ever meet Jesus, he reveals the thoughts of your heart. He reveals not the outward, but whether in your heart you are for God or against God. And so what Simeon is teaching Mary is those who are shown to be against God in Israel, God's own people, they're going to twist his words, they're going to reject his teaching, and ultimately they're going to pierce his body. Just as God said would happen in Isaiah 49. That's going to hurt Mary, Mary the mother. Because as they pierce her boy, it will pierce her soul. It's really it's a really important lesson for us as Christians because we're living in the same era of salvation history. The waiting for the Saviour is over. We are not looking for a Saviour. He's come. The light's come. But the end of sin and death and suffering and evil, that's in the future when Jesus returns. So we must not run naively. We're going to walk Jesus' path. We're going to follow him in the same divided world. We're going to carry his cross. And we may be mocked and misunderstood. And we will find it hard. But we are never defeated. We run the race with certainty, knowing salvation has come. We run with victory assured. We run knowing the devil is defeated. We run together as people equally saved. We run with endurance knowing there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And we run knowing God has fulfilled his word and he will always fulfill his word. Only one group will live forever with God in the new creation. Those whose passports are stamped by Jesus saying, they are my child. They'll be Jewish and Gentile. It'll be those who trust Jesus, the promised servant. Because Jesus Christ is the end of the wait. Salvation has arrived. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are faithful, that your word never fails, that your comfort has arrived, your salvation has come in Christ. We praise you that we have seen him and trust him and rest in him. Lord, help us to share him so that those who are living in darkness may receive and live in the light. Lord God, may we run with endurance knowing that we are victorious in him. We thank you, Lord God, that you are with us every step of the way. In his name, amen.